I think most farmers, they worry about their productivity falling away. But from what I've seen with most growers doing the change, once they get into it, their productivity doesn't fall away and their profitability actually rises. The Biological Farming Roundtable podcast helps farmers explore innovative, low-input, regenerative and profitable farming systems. The Biological Farming Roundtable is sponsored by Nutrisoil, an award-winning biological liquid fertiliser made from a big worm farm. Nutrisoil's purpose is to empower farmers to produce life-enriching food. Today I'm with cane farmers Alan and Jenny Lynn from Ingham in Queensland. They have just poured me a lovely refreshing glass of cane juice extract just now from their own cane. I'm sitting in their machinery shed. It's warm and sticky and I can feel the build-up of rain that's coming in the next hour. The annual rainfall here is about 1,200 millimetres per year. I met Alan and Jenny at the first Regenerative Cane Farming Forum in 2019 and this is my conversation with Alan and Jenny. Alan, what you're trying to achieve is to make your nutrient available, not soluble, so they stay stuck on your soil available to your plants when you need it and they're not leaching off into the waterways. How do you achieve that in a high rainfall area? Control traffic. I've gone to 1,800 beds to have control traffic, raised beds in fallow with legume crops or multi-species crops, trying to rejuvenate the soil health and increase my organic nitrogens as much as possible and reduce my inorganic nitrogen levels. Just basically get the bacteria and the worms cycling the whole uh, soil health cycle moving in a circle and it seems to be working at the moment but I think it is a long-term process. Previously in your system you were using more tillage. How does controlled traffic reduce tillage? Uh, raised beds, once you've got the permanent beds you never touch the interspaces. You might just chip the top of them but you never rip them, work them to any any depth. So you just work where you're going to plant and very gently, as gently as possible. Try to avoid rotary hose. Go more to a light, light uh, renovators with this and incorporate as much organic matter every time as possible. Tell me about the renovators. Uh, the renovators, the one I've got now, is I've built myself. There was nothing on the market that really did what I wanted and... Over probably the last nine years, I've got to where I am now. We've got a renovator that works, works really well in incorporating and preparing a seedbed for my planting. Do you use the renovator with your cover crops? Um, I use the renovator to prep the ground for my cover crop and incorporate it. And then after I terminate my cover crop or multi-species with Roundup usually, which... I just let it stand after terminating for up to two months and then incorporate it so the planter can get through. I usually incorporate it three times very lightly. If I let it stand, the bacteria and the worms tend to eat all the roots off, so they're really 
hungry by the time I incorporate it. So once I incorporate it, it only takes a couple of weeks and they seem to have it down to a level where I can get a planter through. There's a fine art with these cover crops in keeping your nitrogen and carbon ratio at the ideal balance so that the nitrogen is available at the time you need it in the crop. How do you manage that? That's why I try to keep it standing and the soil covered as long as possible. And all my workings are very minimal. Try to make them non-invasive as possible. I'm probably only working on top of the bed the top 150 to 200 mil of soil very lightly and the, when it's planted that actual sets are sitting on unworked soil that was ripped the year before so it's uncompacted and it's had root canals from the multi-species go through it. I've found after three weeks after planting I've found worms back in the mounds with the cane sets which I've never seen before in a conventional system. Is the structure of your soil changing? The structure of my soil has definitely changed. It's uh, getting more cottage cheese-like, crumbly. There's a lot more fungi, a mass of more fungi in the mouldy species, especially with the sun hemp and the sunflower. But they're very easily damaged by any sort of mechanical working. So that's another issue we may have to address at a later date. All this stuff for me, is work in progress. We still haven't got it perfected. We've got a long way to go. The type of cover crop species that germinate well can be different depending on your climate and soil. What are some of the cover crop species that work well in a large rainfall area like Ingham? I have been using ebony, lab lab, sun hemp when available. Sun hemp the last couple of years has been a little bit hard to source. Soybean and sunflower, they all seem to combine to make a very good mix, but some people are using uh, grasses, that type of thing. I'm a little bit afraid of those at the moment, that they might become wild and become a problem because sugarcane basically is a grass species. But as we learn, we'll, I think we'll add more species to the mix. The only problem is... With inoculants, the more species, the more inoculants you need. Have you been able to reduce your inputs using controlled traffic and the multi-species crops? Yeah, I've had a major reduce in inputs in the last five or six years. I am back to 120 of N is my maximum rate. And a lot of rates I go lower in plant cane if I've had a very good crop of multi-species. I'm down to about 40 units of inorganic N and I was probably up around 180 to 160 N user and my tonnage hasn't dropped away. If anything, I've had a slight increase. But I do think it has to do with control traffic as well because the plant has a lot better chance of feeding when it has so much more uncompacted soil around it. There's more chance for the worm and bacteria population to increase and interact with the plant. That's remarkable. 180 units down to 40 units following a multi-species crop. It's important when the water flows through your soil that the structure of the soil holds together. Are you seeing the water flow from your farm look any different to before? We've never really had a problem with 
major problem since we've gone to green trash blanketing with that. But the more organic material I get mixed in my soil or the more growing on it in a wet season, the less chance of that happening. When you use more plants, have you found that the structure of the permanent beds is more stable? Definitely, because in the wet season with a multi-species or any plant crop on top of it, the soil is sheltered and it definitely has a better, a more of a stabilising effect on that soil. Where do you get support to learn how to implement these changes and talk to other farmers who have done it before? I was very lucky when I changed my direction and went to wider rows and changed to growing a legume crops. I had a couple of other farmers around me with supports that were supportive because they were going down the same road and I think you need that support because a lot of people knock you for what's going in a different direction. You definitely need support from other farmers, not just agronomists and uh, fertiliser reps. A lot you need it from another farmer. Where are these farmers getting together? We don't. We just ring up, talk to each other, usually see each other at the shed Someone's shed, you're always discussing different avenues and different options and what's available, what's not available, and you end up like-minded. What was the trigger that made you first search for change? I was thinking about it, but the catalyst for me was when I first got a GPS. It made everything repeatable, and that was a game changer. It was repeatable. I could do it. And the planter could go in the same place. Everything could be done in the same place. I had a permanent bed. And you could just repeat every process without touching the interspace, without running on your beds. And that uncompacted soil is where you want to grow stuff. So to try to just stay off that. Jenny, I'd like to bring you into the conversation do you work on the farm? No, I do very little on the farm. <laughs> I do the um, I do the accounts, the bookwork. Um, when I first decided that I probably wanted to get involved with um, more the farming side of it, in about 2013, 2014, there were scholarships available for women to take up a diploma in agribusiness management. So um, I hate bookwork. So I did it and I thought I can learn to do it better. And my accountant can attest to this. So I did the course and I, I really enjoyed it. So I thought, yep, I can understand this business side of it now, but then I'll probably want to understand a little bit more of what Alan was doing. So I, um, I did the straight agriculture subjects and thoroughly enjoyed it. So we went from there and um, I've tried to become a little bit more involved. I teach agriculture at the local high school, but the, the funniest thing is I, um, I have to get everybody else in to teach them how to use the machinery. I'm used to seeing it designed and worked by Alan, but I can't operate it. How is agriculture in high school changing? Is there any generational mindset change in the children? I can only give you anecdotal evidence. Um, since I've been involved, and I've really only been involved in agriculture in the, in the school system for probably the last four years. We've seen a change. Students are very aware of what comes out in the media, though they're very cynical of the media because we live close to the reef. Um, they don't want to see the reef damaged. They know the efforts that a lot of farmers are going to. So they know that everything that is printed or um, voiced in the media is not correct. So 
they don't like to see agriculture bashed, but a lot of them are sort of going against agriculture because they don't see it as a viable living. So I suppose one of the things I really try to push with my students is that um, there are some very viable career pathways there and they can go and search them. But with, with what we teach them, I suppose, it um, not much has possibly changed. I'm in a different situation here because I don't teach pure agricultural science. I teach the Certificate 3 in Agriculture and the Certificate 2 in Rural Operations. So it's it's more the, the hands-on, how to operate it, and those that are going for um, career pathways in, in agronomy or agricultural sciences we're looking at it from the hands-on point of view and we work very closely with our local industries. Tell us about the regulations that are in place currently for cane growers. The regulations, I think, are having a huge effect and I think that's one of the things that is frightening many of the growers at the moment. And the regulations are there. I see a need for regulations. I see a need for legislation. It's probably come a little bit late in how they've forced it onto the cane growers. And I think had they done it in a more progressive approach over the past, um, say, 10 years or so, but, you know, in the last three to five years, they've hit them really hard and they don't necessarily understand them. And as a result, there's a real fear. And I think what's really, and this is my take, and it's not, please don't take it as an every farmer take. Um, What I see as someone who's come in looking at the regulations probably a little bit later is they have not necessarily been schooled up on those regulations and they're blaming the cane farming BMP, the best management practice. I think the BMP is, is quite a good practice, but what's happening now is people are tying too much of the regulations into the BMP. So all they look at when they're looking at their farming practice as opposed to regulations is it's all around regulations and they're taking away that idea of farming. And so as a result, a lot of the negativity for the farmers, and I think it's stifling some of the growth is, they see it as being a compliance issue. Very interesting. When I was at the recent Cane uh, Regenerative Forum, I didn't hear anyone speak about the regulations. All that was discussed was soil health. And I barely heard anything on nitrogen. It was just mentioned as a byproduct of a good functioning soil. Was that angle a conscious decision by the event organisers? I think my take with this regenerative farming forum, I think we had all like-minded people there. Like I know one particular local gentleman I was very surprised to see there because he's very uh, um, opposed to change and his son's trying to incorporate some change and he doesn't see that it's worthwhile and it's all witchcraft, so to speak. And as a result, I was surprised to see him there because when we went to that, to me, it was all about sustainability and it was very much around soil health. We did not have any of those people who possibly needed to change their practice. I don't know that we had enough of them at the forum. The forum was terrific and I thought the um, the interaction was great, but I think we had a lot of like-minded people and those that weren't, that were there to probably pick up, I think were very quiet. I think they would have been very surprised at just how positive it was, which I think was great. And I think some of those people who probably came and had just started on the regulations and and how much N we're putting in or whatever and how you can do it, um, they, ha- they had to sit back and they I think they knew that they weren't going to have a lot of people say, yeah, 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 you, you know, you're right, it's all around the regulations because if they're doing this soil health, if they're managing soil health, they're meeting regulations. The amount of people there were who had reduced their inputs by 20 to 40% and their soil health was improving was really encouraging for the other farmers to hear. 
And the farmers who are doing this clearly enjoyed farming more and having a network of friends to share their experiences with. Yeah, you know, and I think that positivity has come about because because their soil health is in place. It, it's just that flow-on effect. You know, it's the ripple effect. If you got the heart and soul of farming, which is your soil, if it's in the right place, it's going to ripple out. And the big, you know, to me, the biggest concentric circle from that ripple is you've got less um, capital costs. I think most farmers, they worry about their productivity falling away. But from what I've seen with most growers doing the change, once they get into it, their productivity doesn't fall away and their profitability actually rises. So it's a win-win at the end of the day. Let's talk about this refreshing cane juice I'm drinking. I love cane juice. I like promoting it as much as I can. The positive health benefits that come out of cane juice are just, they are listed, they're out there, but people want to ignore it because we've got all our um, medicos coming out at the moment and, of course, the media bashing sugar. Yes, refined sugar and too much super refined sugar, yeah, it's no good for you. However, when you get that raw product that's, um, you know, it's sunshine in glass, I think I used as a term yesterday to someone who was talking to me. Um, it's a pure product that's coming straight out of the cane. The health benefits, just the really quick ones I'll rattle off for you, is it extra low GI, so the effects of it go on and on through the day. It's very good for gut health and it's very good for, for diabetics. It's an alkaline product, so wonderful uh, for your teeth. Um, and it's also actually, I read an interesting thing yesterday, it's very good for weight loss because it's got so much... Um, fiber in it it's staying in the gut so not only is it helping with your um your gut health what it's also doing is giving you that full effect so as a result it's a natural um weight loss because you know you're just having it as part of your um your diet in india in particular they'll give it to young children when they're growing up so that they can um it helps with their gut health in particular, but they've found that um, because it's so high in zinc and calcium, it's really good for their bones and actually they don't have to have quite as much milk as um, the other children in Western societies because they're getting a lot of it naturally out of their sugarcane juice. It's absolutely delicious. Where can we find it if we'd like to buy some? The sad fact is it's not commercially available. Because it oxidises so quickly uh, once it's been um, juiced, um, it still tastes okay, but it, it looks awful. It oxidises, it goes brown. So we drink it very much like the um, anyone in Southeast Asia drinks it, especially the Thais and the Vietnamese. Throw in some lime juice, of course, or, or lemon juice to keep it lovely and golden, and then we like the mint and we throw in the mint as well. If anyone would like to attend the annual Regenerative Cane Farming Forum, the website is regencane.com.au. Please follow the Biological Farming Roundtable podcast. Share it with your friends and networks. I'm Nicola Maddick and I work at Nutrisoil, a liquid biological fertiliser made from a big worm farm whose purpose is to empower farmers to produce life-enriching food.